We are in a series called Keeping the Faith, and what we're doing is we're looking at the stages of David's life. Rod used the term longitudinal uh, study, uh, which I've never heard before, so I'm going to share it with you because I kind of feel smart when I say that. But we're doing a longitudinal study of the life of David from when he was a young man where last week we saw him kill Goliath to the very end of his life. And we're going to see David do some great things. He's going to have high highs like killing a giant, but then he's going to have some low lows where there's going to be some deep family drama. And like today, we're going to see David at one of his lowest points that he's ever had in his life. And we're going to see sort of the roller coaster of what it looks like for a person to maintain faith through every single stage of life. Whether they're a young man or they're preparing to meet Jesus, what does it look like? We have that with David. We're looking through those different stages. And if you remember last week, Pastor Rodney sort of gave this, this example of, of, you know, some of you might think of me as a heretic for this. That's okay. But I, he used Mario Brothers, and I, I never really grew up on Mario Brothers, right? I was more of like a Call of Duty guy, okay? And then I got married and had children, and then the Call of Duty changed to, to changing diapers, right, and, and wiping butts. Like, that's now my thing, okay? Uh, but... But we looked at that, the, the Mario Brothers, and there's this thing you can do where you can warp through sections, and you can skip difficulties, and you can skip through the problems that you might have run into on certain levels. You can warp past these things, and what we don't want to do with this, with this series is we don't want to look at our life and say, hey, there's troubles in my life right now, and so I need to get past them. I just need to warp to the next area, next stage of life. So many times we want to get out of this season and into the next one that we miss the lessons and we miss the discipline that God wants to teach us right now. And so that's why you have people who are 50 years old, but spiritually, they're like a 10, 11, 12-year-old. They skipped whole sections of their life. They went through their party phase and they went through their crazy phase and, and now they're coming out and they're having kids and they're saying, well, hey, I, I skipped this whole season of life. I warped through it and so now I'm stuck and I have to, I have to grow fast because life is hitting me 100 miles an hour. And so you find yourself in church ready to, to devour the teachings of scripture because you're saying, hey, this is what I've done in the past and I don't want, I wanna number one, learn from my mistake, but I don't want my kids to follow in the same footsteps that I did. So we wanna grow as people. We don't wanna warp through the stages of life. When I was talking with Rodney about it, he said something that I thought was profound. We're going to look at David's life and we're going to see a man who is going to be obedient. He's going to go and he's going to slay the giant, but also he's going to learn obedience. Obedience isn't just something that you do. Obedience is something that is learned through failure. It's learned through trial and error. We're going to see that in David's life over and over again. Obedience isn't something, a destination you arrive at. Obedience is something that's fluid that you have to learn and do over the course of every stage of life. So last week we saw the young, brash boy, right, was probably around that 15 to 18 year old range and he ran out into the field of battle and he slayed the giant. He was full of courage and confidence and today we're gonna see a very different side of this young man. As David's journey continues, we're going to see a man who's actually going to go on the run. He's going to be running for his life. And, and the, so, so today what we're calling this message is the flight of the faithful. 
David is going to be on the run and his whole life is going to be pulled out from underneath him and all the security that he had is gone in a moment. But before we can get to the why of David's running, we have to understand the relationship that David and Saul had. David went and he slayed a giant, but David's relationship with Saul actually started long before he ever killed, a, a, ever killed Goliath. David's relationship with Saul actually starts when David is far away from Saul. He's out tending his sheep in the pasture, and all of a sudden this prophet named Samuel comes in and he says, hey, I'm called to anoint a king. If you remember, Israel wanted a king last week, and so they cried out to God and said, God, we want a king. And so God says, okay, let's, this isn't my guy. I got a king in mind, but this ain't my guy. But, but you, you get what you wanted. So he gave the people Saul. Remember that? So Saul is their king. He's the leader of the people. But Samuel knows and God knows that this is not meant to be the guy. Saul's actually in the wrong spot on the bus. And it's starting to drive him crazy. And so while Saul is in, his, uh, in, his, in the king's palace and he's doing the king's work, right, Samuel, the prophet of God, is going to go over to David's house and he's going to anoint David king. So there's this tension in the text where you have a bad king who's in the wrong seat on the bus and you got the good king over here who's currently tending sheep in the pasture. He's not even doing the things right, that God's calling to him to in the future. He's just taking care of what he has right now. And he gets anointed king. So David knows I'm supposed to be king. One day, for some reason, God chose me. And so Saul's in, in, his, in his palace and he's in his courtroom and he begins to experience anxiety. He begins to experience a lack of peace. It actually says that the hand of the Lord was coming off of Saul and it was going on David because that was his anointed. And Saul becomes stressed out and so he, he calls for somebody. He's like, hey, I need somebody to come and play me some music. And there's this young man in the courtroom that says, hey, I know just the guy. His name's David. And Saul, you're gonna love him. He's a man of power. He's a man of authority. He's a man of war. You're going to love this guy. And so he goes and gets David. He brings him into the courtroom. And David, like ladies, I'm telling you, he's like the most manly man, right? The way they describe David, it's like, like he's a man of war. And all the guys are like, yeah, you know, we grunt and we burp. And we're like, yeah, that's my guy. And then he describes David to Saul. And he says, this man is beautiful. His lovely eyes. And the ladies are like, ah. Oh. Right, like this is the perfect person to, to, number one, be king one day, but to serve in Saul's courtroom. And so David comes in the courtroom and he's got his harp and he plays the harp and it brings, the scriptures say that it actually brings Saul peace. It helps settle his mind. In 1 Samuel 16, 21, it says that David came to Saul and entered his service and Saul loved him greatly. He loved him greatly and he became his armor bearer. That word for love, it's, it's this intimate love. It means that Saul trusted David. It means that David was sort of like his right-hand man. So David and Saul's relationship starts off and it's almost one of these things that you're looking at. You're like, man, this is going really well. Saul loves David. This is, this is his heir to the throne and maybe he's not blood related, but maybe God's doing something here. There's a good relationship brewing, but how many of you know if you've had a relationship with someone in the past that went really well right away, sometimes it seems what? Too good to be true, right? Man, maybe you come out of a relationship and you enter a new one and it's like, man, we're just really clicking. We can identify with a lot of the hurts in our past. It's like, man, we just, we're clicking on all cylinders. Well, maybe it's a sign that this relationship is too good to be true. 
Maybe there's more going on under the surface than what you're seeing right now. Well, that's what's happening with David and Saul. They're in a relationship that's too good to be true, and Saul loved him. David's his armor bearer, right? If you want to know what an armor bearer is, flip over to 1 Samuel 31. This is the story of when Saul will go and battle with the Philistines, and this is going to be his last battle. He's going to die on the battlefield for, for his country, right? And all of his men are falling around him, and Saul looks to his armor bearer, who's right next to him, and he says, hey, I want you to run me through with the sword because I don't want to be captured. And the armor bearer's like, no, dude, I ain't doing that. That's weird. Like, I feel weird killing the king, right? So figure that out yourself. And so Saul just falls on his sword. And then the armor bearer does the exact same thing. This is a person who's deeply loyal to the king, so much so the king trusts him and allows him to be in his inner circle. This is who David is to Saul. He's his armor bearer. If you read the story of when David goes out to the battlefield, right, what scholars say is that David, it wasn't his first time there. He had been out there, and he would go home, and then he would go to the battlefield and serve Saul, and then he would go home, and then one day he comes out, and he sees the giant, and he says, why aren't we doing anything about this guy? We have the battle lines draw, like someone go out there and fight the giant. David was familiar with this stuff. He knew Saul's armor. He knew that when he would put it on, it would be too big for him because he was the guy that would carry it around. This is what David was to Saul. But as the relationship continues, it's too good to be true, what happens? David kills Goliath, right? And guys, if you have any sense of pride at all, when the ladies start noticing that, we get defensive, right? They start singing these songs about David. They say Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. What they're saying is David is better than Saul. And so all of a sudden, Saul's ego starts to flare up. But all David does is he serves. He's courageous for Saul. He's, he's bold for Saul. He fights for Saul. He earns freedom for Saul, right? David is doing all this stuff to serve and be faithful to his king because that's his job. But now all of a sudden, Saul begins to change, and their, their lives become more and more intertwined. David will marry one of Saul's daughters. David is going to be the best friend of Jonathan, and so David's life is intertwining with Saul's life, and the more this happens, I think the more Saul begins to lose his mind because he sees someone that should be in his position. And so Saul is motivated by something that is deep and something that is profound. The first point I want to give you today is our starting point for running is different, but our reasons are always the same. Our starting point is different. Maybe you're, you're on the run from something, right? And it might be something totally different from me. Maybe you had a bad relationship in the past that didn't pan out, and so you're on the run from that relationship, and you're saying to yourself, I'm never gonna open up my heart again to that person or to someone like that because that betrayal was the hardest thing I've ever went through. And so you've cut off your heart, and you said, you know what, this isn't for me anymore. Or maybe you come out of a relationship and you needed that person to fill that void in your heart and that void is now empty and so you look to the next person and you say, hey, I'm gonna try this relationship out over here and if that one doesn't work, you go to the next relationship and the next relationship and the next relationship. This is especially true of young people. We're trying to find that thing that will fulfill us and we spend our life searching and, and closing ourselves off or looking in areas we shouldn't be looking in 
But the reality is our starting point is always the same, but our reason, or excuse me, our starting point is for running is always different, but our reasons are the same. When you look at 1 Samuel 18, 12, it's a simple verse, but it summarizes Saul's feelings about David. It says, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him and had departed from Saul. We're gonna see Saul turn into an irrational man. He's gonna get angry. He's gonna get furious at somebody who was so faithful to him he was unlike anybody else in the kingdom. Saul's, there's a switch in his brain that's gonna flip. His ego is gonna explode. And he's, begin, he's gonna look at David completely different. He's not gonna see a young man who's faithful. He's not gonna see a young man who's passionate. All of a sudden, Saul is gonna become paranoid. He's gonna start attributing motives to David that weren't there. David didn't wanna take his throne. David, David, yeah, he wanted to go kill Goliath, but he only did it because nobody else would. David was being faithful, but all of a sudden Saul begins to attribute motives to him saying, this guy's gonna take the throne from me. He's gonna take that thing that I've built up in my career. He's gonna take that from me. And he gets defensive. He gets this warrior mentality that's not being used for good, but it's being used for evil. And there's a moment where David, this is where it all changes. David is playing his harp or he's playing his instrument in the courtroom of Saul and Saul flips a switch, pulls out a spear, and he throws it at David, trying to kill him. This is attempted murder. Saul is going to try and kill David over seven times. He's gonna throw a spear at him three times. He's gonna send, David's gonna marry his daughter, they're gonna go live in their home, and Saul's gonna send men to David's home to scout it out so when he gets home at night, his men can jump in there and take him out. Saul is He's losing it mentally. He is paranoid beyond belief. So he's gonna try to kill David. He sends men to his house. He's gonna send David, even before he marries his daughter, he says, David, I need you to go kill 100 Philistines. And I need you to get, he's very specific with them about what the gift would be, but he says, I need you to bring this gift back to me. Okay, if you wanna know what it is, go read the text. I'm not gonna share it with you in church right now, okay? Because it's kind of weird. But David comes back to the king and, 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 and with, with the gift and Saul is surprised because David was supposed to die. He's like, David, I'm gonna send you to your deathbed out with the Philistines, but David still overcomes and brings Saul what he wants. But the reason Saul does this is because he was full of fear. Saul was afraid. Saul was afraid that everything he had held onto would be taken away from him by this young, ambitious, good-looking, strong, powerful warrior man. And so he became defensive, and when he became defensive, he became irrational. And when he became irrational, he panics, and he begins to try to kill the very one, the very one that had brought him freedom. Saul was terrified. He was absolutely terrified. But here's the thing. Saul's fear is passed on to David. Put yourself in David's shoes. He's this young man at this stage of life where, where right, he's, he's probably getting into the most athletic part of, of his life. He's, he, you know, he, he's a good-looking dude. How many of you know once you get to about 30, they start going downhill a little bit because things start growing in places they shouldn't be, right? Like, like all of a sudden, things start changing. Like David is sort of at the peak of, of, of his, his manliness, right? Like he, he's at the peak, 
right? He's just come off of killing a giant. He's just come off of marrying the king's daughter. He's best friends with the king's son. Everything is moving in the right direction for this guy's career. Everything is moving in the right direction with this guy's family. And all of a sudden, there's a spear that gets thrown at his head, and everything changes in an an instant. He has to leave his home. He has to leave his family. He has to leave his job. And he has to go on the run. He can't even live in his own home anymore. Now David is full of fear. Now David is on the run from the king. The man he loved, the man who loved him. The second point I want to give you today is that we are all running from something and we're running to something. We see this in both these men's life. Saul is running from the call of God on David's life and he's headed to a world that he's created. Saul's running from something in this story. He, he's portrayed as the aggressor. He's hunting David, right? Like, like he's taking out the thing that threatens his livelihood. But in reality, all Saul is doing is running from his fear. He's running from his future. He thinks he's running to his future, thinking that if I could just take this guy out, then my life will be secure. But the reality is, he's actually running away from what God wanted for him. He was never supposed to be here in the first place. And when we see David running, we see a man running from Saul's dysfunction. And David is going to trip and fall, and he's going to make mistakes. But David also is running from fear. 1 Samuel 21, 6 through 10. If you have your Bibles, open them up there. 1 Samuel 21, 6 through 10. This is the story of David on the run from Saul. He's already tried to kill him a couple of times. And David's running in this region, and he, he knows the tabernacle's in a certain spot, and so he goes, and he meets the high priest Ahimelech. He's hungry, he's tired, right? He probably just wants to lay down and sleep but his mind is running a million miles an hour because he has a man who's hunting him. And so he goes in and he asks for some bread. And so here's where we pick up in the text in verse six. So the priest gave him the holy bread, for there was no bread there but the bread of the presence which is removed from before the Lord and to be replaced by hot bread on the day it was taken away. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. His name was Doug. Okay, everybody say Doug. That is in the Bible, guys. That's pretty awesome, huh? It's probably Doeg or something like that. But his name was Doug the Edomite, the chief of Saul's herdsmen. Then David said to Ahimelech, Then have you not here a spear or a sword at hand? For I thought, or I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, but the king's business requires haste. And the priest said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, who you struck down in the valley of Elah, behold, it is here wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it, for there is none but that here. And David said, there is none like that. Give it to me. David arose, and he fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. So what we see happening in this scene is David is terrified. He's running from Saul. He doesn't even have weapons. He doesn't even have food. He comes, and he, he eats the cakes that are, are holy. They're for the Lord, right? David runs to the house of the Lord, and there he says, hey, I don't have food, I don't have a weapon, I'll take anything. And Ahimelech looks at him and says, hey, David, we got this sword in the back. You're probably familiar with it. It's the sword of Goliath. And David's like, whatever, give me the sword. I want you to note what's going on with David. David is terrified of his life. Terrified for his life, his faith has been drained out of him, 
and he's on the run because he doesn't know what's going on. The rug has been pulled out from underneath. His life is falling apart. He runs to the house of the Lord, a house he was familiar with, a house that he loved. He loved the presence of God. His longing, if you read Psalms 23, what, how does it finish? His longing is to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David goes to the place where he knows there might be something there for him. He goes to this place and he grabs hold. He takes for himself the security of what? The sword of Goliath. Remember, this is the same young man who ran to the field of battle with a slingshot and he hits the giant with a rock. The giant falls down and what does David do? He takes the sword of Goliath and in great faith and in great power, he lowers the sword on his head and cuts it off. So as to rub it into the Philistines being like, I conquered you. Our God is bigger than you. Our God is better than yours. Our God is the one true God. And here David is in the tabernacle holding the sword of Goliath, thinking that that would give him security as he ran for his life. Now what's bizarre about this story is if you look at this sentence right here, what does it say? That David is going to leave the tabernacle and he's going to go to this place called Achish, the king, or he's going to go see the king, Achish, in the land of Gath. Who else was from Gath? Goliath. David runs to the place of his enemies. He runs to the enemies of God because he has nowhere else to go. He's so terrified that he picks up whatever belongings he can. He gets the sword of Goliath, the man that he killed out of faith to bring freedom to a nation, and he's going to run to the same army that he fought against. He's going to go put himself in the same city with the brothers and sisters of Goliath. David's fear takes him to the place of his enemies. We said already how Saul's fear made him become irrational. The same thing will happen with David. David goes and he, he's in the city of Gath, and the king hears about it, and he said, isn't this the David they sing about where Saul had killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands? You know who the ten thousands were? They were the Philistines. They were this guy's family. They were this guy's ancestors. They were this guy's community. And now David is in their community. And so the king hears about it and he's up in arms and he's worried because David is here and David finds out about it and David does something that is so completely bizarre. 1 Samuel 21, 12 through 13. David heard the words of the king and he took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior from before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and make marks on the door of the gate and let a spittle run down his beard. David's mind is literally being lost. His whole world has been taken away. The relationships that he had from the past were no longer there. This man who loved him was now trying to kill him. And David finds himself in the city of his enemies. He had just killed their, their best warrior in faith, and that faith is gone. And David has absolutely nothing. So much so that he begins to act like somebody who's lost their mind. 
He's scratching on doors. He's probably running around on all fours. I mean, I imagine, you know, I lived in Portland, Oregon for four years, and, and people would, like, bark at you, right, when they, when they looked like they were insane. And they were, you know, I remember seeing this, uh, this uh, homeless guy sitting outside of McDonald's, and, uh, you know, this little kid came out with his mom, and the kid tried giving him a cookie. Right, you know how McDonald's, bless them, they have three cookies in a pack, right? This little boy had eaten two of them and he wanted to share one with the man outside and so he handed him the cookie and the man just stared down, right? And, and so the mom said, well, let's just put it on his knee. So she put it on his knee and the dude just, bam, slapped it off his knee and just growled at the kid. And the kid like started crying and his mom took him to the car, right? When I think of someone who, who's losing their mind, that's, that's always what comes to my head. And that's how I imagine David. He's, he's scratching the doors, right? He's barking at people, and, and he's, he's drooling down his beard so people would look at him and say, this isn't the same David that killed Goliath. This isn't the same David that took out our neighbor. This isn't the same David that killed his ten thousands of our brothers and sisters in our neighborhood. David feels like he's backed into a corner Completely, he has nothing else, and here he is in Gath, standing with the sword of Goliath. Everything's been taken away, and he has no security. This is what David's fear has driven him to. He is absolutely alone. Here's what fear causes us to do. It causes us to take our focus off of God and put it squarely on ourselves it causes us to live in a way that as it starts off, it's highly unpredictable. Maybe it's our job is in jeopardy. Maybe it's our relationship that's in jeopardy. And so all of a sudden, there's this fear of I might lose them or I might lose that thing or I might lose my kids, right, or I might lose that bonus. And so all of a sudden, this fear seeps into your life. And when that fear seeps into your life, all of a sudden, you get a little paranoid. All of a sudden, you keep thinking these thoughts of, well, maybe my spouse is cheating on me, or, or, or maybe, maybe this person I'm in a relationship doesn't want to be in a relationship with me anymore. And, and paranoia takes over because the fear is the thing that is driving us. I have this, this, this idea, and I think it's true. I think the thing that, that people fear the most in life is death. And people always say to me, well, you know what? I, what about young people? They're so young, and they're reckless, and they're crazy, and that's just their stage of life. Well, here's David in a stage of life where he is young, he's ambitious, he's a little bit crazy, he's willing to run and fight a giant, and he's at the end of his wits, and he is absolutely terrified. This is the manliest man in the kingdom. And here he is, scared. Why? Because everything's been taken away from him and he is so close to death that he can't think straight. When you drive your car down the road and you stop at a stop sign, why do you stop at a stop sign? Because so at some point in human history, one car went through an intersection and somebody else hit him. And somebody died, and they're like, I don't want this to happen to my kids, and so I'm gonna petition the city council and we're gonna put up a stop sign so that people will stop so they slow down. It's motivated for fear of death. David is terrified, Saul is terrified. Saul knows that if David takes his spot on the throne, then he's got nothing left and he may as well be dead. So you and I in our own lives, I don't think we're that much different than these two men. We look at the things that we can control and what happens when they start slipping out of our hands? What happens when gas prices go up? What happens when groceries go up? 
all of a sudden, what do we do? We begin to fear and we begin to panic. We start watching the news more and then we begin to fear more and we begin to panic more and it's this, this weird cycle that we go in as a nation, as a people. And then we get paranoid and then we lose our minds. <laughs> Nobody escapes the reality of fear. The last point I want to give you today is that God never has you run in vain. God never has you run in vain. God is not some mad scientist who's sitting above the world and, you know, he's pumped us full of drugs and he's letting us run around in this maze to figure out uh, life and he's just letting us be. He's not a mad scientist. God is a God who has a plan. He has a plan and he has a purpose for everything, whether we like it or not. And what we're gonna see in David's life is that God is gonna teach him things in his running that he will take when he becomes king and it will help him and it will mature him in ways he never would have had otherwise. Because what running makes you do is it makes you aware of yourself. It makes you aware of who you are. I love this portion of scripture. David is on the run and he meets up with his best friend Jonathan and Jonathan knows my dad's off the rocker so David you need to stay away but I love what Jonathan says to him. He says in 1 Samuel 23, 17, he says do not fear for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you and you will be king over Israel and I shall be next to you. Saul my father also knows this. Here's what Jonathan does to David. In David's mind, he's a failure. In David's mind, he's a lunatic. He's a wild dog that's been put in the corner. That's who David is up here. That's what's shaping his behavior. This is who I am. His friend Jonathan. How many of you know it's, it's critical to be in the presence of right people and to have the right voices speaking into your mind? Jonathan comes alongside of his friend and he says, David, listen, my father wants to kill you, but he is not going to be successful. Do you know why? Because God said you will be king. David, you are not a lunatic. David, you are a king. Jonathan speaks identity into David. He says, David, remember what God promised you. Remember what he gave to you. Don't forget. Don't let my dad put fear inside of you that will disqualify you from ministry. Don't let him do something. Don't let Saul's fear sweep into your life and cause you to make decisions that you will regret. David, remember who you are. You're not a failure. You're a king. You're not a crazy person. You're redeemed. Jonathan speaks life into David. David had the right people around him, and David was reminded of who he was. If you're running from something, if you're running from past relationships, if you're running from difficulties, if you're running from family issues, if you're running from a job, if you're running from, from the government, right? I'd love to hear that story, but anyways. Um, uh, it, but whatever it is you're running from, what is it you're running to? What is it that's driving you in running? Because if it's fear, you'll continue to run. And those things that start off of being unpredictable, they become more predictable as things go along. How many of you know somebody, or how many of you would say to you, for yourself, I have a cycle that I go through. And when you're in that cycle, everything is predictable. We look at, we look at dysfunction and we say, man, this is so unpredictable. But the reality is that dysfunction is predictable. Saul was predictable. 
Everything Saul did, people began to notice this. David knew these things. His daughter knew when Saul was angry, and she told David, leave. He's being himself again. He came home tonight, and he just, you don't want to be around dad today, okay? So David, just get out of here. He might kill you. Saul became predictable in his dysfunction. How many times do you come home and, and your wife or, or, or your husband or your kids have to walk on eggshells because they know if you had a bad day at work, things are not going to go well at home. When dad goes downstairs and he opens that third can of beer or that fourth can of beer or mom goes out with the ladies and has that third beer or fourth beer, when they come home, you got to walk on eggshells because if you do the wrong thing, they're going to snap. How many, how many people live in fear because of a dysfunction that's in your life? You know what that is? That's predictability. They know what to predict from you if the scenario and the situation is right. And if the fear that you have in your heart is transferred to your spouse, it's transferred to your kids, it's transferred to your family, and over time it makes them do the same thing that you do. So in our running, we're running from our fear. We're running from our past. And we think we have this idea of what we know the future is going to be, but it's a predictable cycle that repeats itself over and over and over again. What does David do to end the cycle of dysfunction and fear that's in his life? There's a moment in his life where he's running from Saul and he hides in this cave and Saul is there with his men and they don't know David's in the cave and Saul, like every person, has to take a bathroom break. He goes into the cave, David's right there, he sneaks up on him, he cuts a piece of, of cloth from his, his robe, so just so you guys know, Saul had his phone in the bathroom, so guys, this is a biblical thing, right? He was on his phone in the bathroom and that's how David did what he did, okay? But David cuts off a piece of clothing from Saul's robe and then he, goes, he, he, he shrinks back. He doesn't kill him. This is the man who's trying to take his life and David honors him as king. Saul leaves the cave and then a little while later David comes out and he's like, hey Saul, I want you to know I could have killed you. And here's the proof. Look on your robe. I took it from you. I, I could have killed you, Saul, but I didn't. I showed mercy. And I love Saul's response to David. 1 Samuel 24, 17 and 18, he said to David, you are more righteous than I. Underline that in your Bible. Saul, the king, the person who wants the throne, the person whose fear was passed on to David, the person who didn't have it figured out. This is what he says to David. You are more righteous than I am, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. And you have declared this day how you have dealt well with me, in that you did not kill me, when the Lord put me into your hands. Now behold, I know that you will be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Here's the reality that David knew. David showed Saul grace. The thing that pulled David through all of this was staying connected to the Father. It was going to the house of the Lord. It was dwelling in God's presence over and over again. It was entrusting himself continually to the Lord and taking his fear and giving it to God over and over again. David's faithfulness was unpredictable. 
David would, would fight off a lion and a lamb. It's unpredictable. If you were in a situation where a lion was coming to take your lamb, what would you do? You would probably run, right? What does David do? He stands up and he fights back. Goliath comes. David does the unpredictable thing. He goes to the field of battle and he takes the giant down. David's hiding in a cave, running from Saul. He, his faith causes him to do something unpredictable. Saul's going to the bathroom, right? David puts up with the smell, and he puts up with, with, with not killing him, and he takes the robe, and he says, I've shown you mercy. David showed mercy when Saul deserved none of it. What David did is put on display a gospel that he wouldn't even know about till a thousand years later. See, here's the reality of our life. You and I, we're predictable in our dysfunction. We like to think we're David, but in reality, we're Saul. And in the stage of life that we're in, what we're really good at doing is running from our fear, making it look like everything's okay, but life is falling around us all the time. And we live in this fear, and what David had to learn is that the only way I will overcome this fear is if I realize that I am called by God and I have to entrust myself to him. Here's what Jesus did. Jesus was the most unpredictable person in human history. He sees humanity running a journey that was leading to a cliff that would lead to hell, and he says, you know what, from eternity past, I'm gonna step in one day and I'm gonna do something. He takes on flesh, he dwells among us, and what does he do? He goes to a cross. And he's not running to the cross, but he's dragging his feet with the cross behind him. Going up the, the, the hill of death, the place of the skull, Golgotha, where humanity would nail him to a tree and he would die. Why? So our sins could be paid for. So that one day we could look to the courtroom of heaven and we could say, I have been justified by the death of Christ. And he has made me new. He has made me clean. Not because of anything that I've done, but because of what he's done. Not because of anything that I've earned, but because of his grace and his mercy alone. And so that grace and mercy that I've received now, I can show it to the souls in my life, the people who are running in fear. And when I show that to them, maybe, just maybe, they'll look back and say, there's something different. What does Saul say to David? You have repaid me good when I have given you evil. That's exactly what Christ did for us. You will be king. Saul's saying, I will not be king. David, you're the one who should sit on the throne. If Jesus is gonna sit on the throne of our heart, our pride has to die. You can't look at everybody else and say, it's their fear that caused this to happen to me. It's good to understand that, but the reality is if you don't take ownership of your own life and your own sin and your own dysfunction, things will never change. Jesus came to break the pattern and the only way it breaks is when you realize this man has given me grace and he's given me mercy. David's life points us to his. And when we engage with it that way, we can run our race and we can run it not, not in vain, but we can run with a purpose knowing that no matter what comes, no matter what fear happens to us, we are gonna be, okay, let's finish this way. Psalm 18, we're gonna read the first three verses. David writes this psalm as he's on the run from Saul, and he says this. He says, I love you, O Lord. <laughs> this dude is terrified. And the first words he gives to God is, I love you. 
O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. What David understood is, yeah, he's running from something and he's running to something, but he realized, I have to run for something. David was running for God. So even in the midst of his difficulties, he knew that God would preserve him. Amen, church? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the story of David. We thank you uh, that he didn't warp through this stage, but Lord, he, he went through every bit of it. He dealt with the fear. He dealt with the difficulties. He dealt with the pain. He dealt with the suffering. Lord, he dealt with the rug being pulled out from underneath him. He dealt with the family drama. He dealt with the marital drama. Lord, and it wasn't easy and it was painful. But Lord, in the midst of it, Lord, he realized he was running for something and that something was you. And so Lord, as we, as we run, Lord, as we run, would you remind us of your faithfulness? Would you remind us of your goodness? Would you remind us, Lord, that you came to defeat death, that you conquered fear so that we could trust in you and we could have a relationship with you. We pray these things in your name. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray this message connected with you, and we hope it gave you another way to connect with Jesus and your New Life family. For more ways to get plugged in here at New Life, you can visit our website at www.newlifeaberdeen.org. Thanks again for listening, and have a great week.